Uh, we are in the midst of a series, kind of in the beginning part of a series called Growing Forward, and that really has the idea of growing forward as individuals and as people in and for Christ, and just maturing and growing our roots deeper uh, in the Lord. And we're in this series, part of this series, where we're taking this month, today's the last time in this looking back part. We're going to look back, then we're going to look forward, and then we're going to uh, get into the uh, growing forward and some pragmatic realities on what that looks like to grow and change in Christ. And, and we're looking back because we're kind of trying to uh, reset ourselves and confirm of what Scripture says about how we got here and why we're here. And uh, even last Sunday, what went wrong? Genesis 3 with... Uh, Adam and Eve uh, biting it, if you will. And uh, uh, out of that, really the picture that we leave Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve are standing outside of the Garden of Eden, uh, meaning the Garden of Delight, and they're standing outside. And we often, I think, sometimes we think, you know, okay, they did an oopsie, and God has uh, put them outside in a timeout. Uh, you know, parents, you know, the timeout thing where it's like t time out for you. And I think half of the time it was for the benefit of our children. Our son's in the room this morning a benefit for them. And half of the time of that was for benefit for Karen and I to be able to like get our act together in the moment of it. But we sometimes we kind of look at the end of Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve are outside the Garden of Eden and it's like this no re-entry sign uh, into the Garden of Eden. And a big question comes up right at that point. So what now? Like, so what now from here? So this, uh, this fall with God, and yet what now from here? And oftentimes, again, as I noted, we, we kind of see this oopsie, but it's way more than an oopsie. This is actually what took place in the Garden of Eden was this war against God. And, and in that, uh, even uh, Rankin and Wilborn and uh, Brian Greger uh, say in their book, uh, The Cross Before Me, they say this, because this is more than just an oopsie. It says, yes, we are broken. But we are broken not only because of some tragic flaw in our constitution, which is true because of the fall and the nature of sin, but we are broken because we are in a revolt against God. Wow, that's bold. We need healing, but we also need to recognize that each of us is, in the words of John Henry Newman, a rebel who must lay down his or her arms. And there is a truth in that, and I think sometimes that we want to be able to view our sin and our brokenness as kind of oopsies with God, and yet in it, there, there's, there's a deep, hard reality that's taking place, and oftentimes the question that we have is, so what do we do from here? Like, what's it look like from here? I'm broken. You're broken. None of us in this room are perfect. None of us in this room have it all together, so what now from here? So instead of us trying to reason out, which oftentimes is kind of the result of the garden, is we want to be self-autonomous and we want to be the ones who kind of say, well, this is what I think happens. Uh, being a, scripturally foundation, a foundationally scriptural church, uh, let's go to God's word and let's see from God's word and let's get some hope. Uh, what, so what does it look like from here now? So if you would please open your copy of God's word, if you have it with you, to Psalm 139, right about right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 139. And friends, I just want to uh, give you the update on this psalm, or the heads up, I should say, on this psalm, that it's good news. It's good news. 
Because after us having spent the weeks in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 and seeing the results of that, Adam and Eve standing outside of the Garden of Eden with this brokenness that's taken place, it's kind of like, oh, it's got to be all downhill from here. And in many ways, we say, well, in certain ways, but in it, I just, listen, we're going to get some hope here because uh, of not who we are, but because of who God is. So God help us, right? God help us here. Psalm 139, there's two ways, I think, to read and to walk away from Psalm 139. One way is you read Psalm 139, and you kind of, I might say it this way, you kind of walk away with an American sense of, whoa, God, you're a bit intrusive. You know, we kind of, in our culture, we're that way. Like, we want relationship, but only so far. You know, it's like, talk to me close, but don't get too close to me, because you're in my space, man. Um, And sometimes we can feel that about Psalm 139 because in Psalm 139, it's this deal to where there is God very close and it can be, God, you're getting too intrusive and I kind of want you not to be that intrusive in my life. And I would say that's kind of the rebel in us. But instead of intrusive, I think Psalm 139 is really a text that is actually telling us how intimate God is with us. Hey friend, God knows us in all of our glory and in all of our yuck. And he still pursues us. That's a stunning fact. So let's get some hope out of Psalm 139. This is about God being intimate and not intrusive. And that's really where David is coming from in the psalm. So let me begin, beginning of the psalm, even that little thing before verse 1, it says, to the choir master. That's that's a bit of context. This is actually something to be sung. You know, singing was different in that days and how how that worked, but uh, in it, it's still that same idea. This is something that is a psalm, and it's a psalm of who? David. David, the most prolific psalm writer. We as a church last year went through First and Second Samuel, or at least good major portions of it. We got to know David, and David was a broken guy, and yet David was also this guy who was after God's heart. It's, it's, it's kind of like, how can those two fit? Uh, it's really hopeful because that's the, what you and I are in that. And so David is writing this, and David is informing us. Uh, Let's lean into it. Verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You, you, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Ooh, sometimes that's bothersome. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down. And you, Lord, you are acquainted with all my ways. In fact, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. That's also kind of concerning. Verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Is this intrusive or is this intimate? It's it's the latter. Let's work this a little bit. What's he saying here? So David begins this psalm with this opening declarative statement uh, of, Oh Lord, uh, you, um, you have searched me. Oh Lord, you have known me. Remember this statement uh, because it's, it's an important statement in understanding the very end of the psalm. 
God has searched us and God knows us. The word searched in Hebrew, it means examined. Uh, Don Williams said uh, of this that it's like God is a doctor uh, giving us a physical. God is like a psychiatrist exploring our inner depths. God is like an intimate friend who probes us until we reveal all. Uh, That's what he's talking about. God knows us. Hey, uh, as as maybe uncomfortable as it might make you uh, feel, this is talking about this whole thing of God has searched us. Don't be creeped out by that. God, as we've talked about the one who created us, the one who placed us, and even in our brokenness, God still searches us. That's a intrusively intimate thing. That can be a scary thing, but as the psalm moves along, uh, David uh, actually views it as a wonderful thing. Uh, He he has known me. Uh, By the way, this is not in in the form of it. This is not the kind of idea like, yeah, God knows. You know, God knows everything. You know, God knows. Uh, No, no, this is carrying the idea that God knows you. You, you and me. Hey, have you ever been in those times of life where it's like, no one understands me? Where it's like, man, it's just so frustrating. No one gets me. No one understands me. No one, no one knows the, the troubles I've been through, the heartache. No one knows even the struggles. I, God does. And that's not to creep you out. That's actually to encourage you. God. The one who created it all. God. I wish I could say that cooler. God. He knows you. Like how much? Well, that's what he goes. Verse 2. You know when I sit and when I rise, you discern my thoughts. David's putting to words. He's putting to song, trying to help us understand how intimate this is. You know when. God knows us. Uh, Verse 3 and 4. You searched out my You searched out my path and you searched out my lying down. You searched out my ways. You've searched out my words. Here's the idea of that. You have pursued me. Why would God be pursuing? There's really only two answers to that. Because God's ticked and he's coming after us. Or because God loves us. And bless our hearts, he knows we need him. It's the latter, as we'll see. And then verse five, you hem me in. This is, this is a word that we have a hard time translating into English. And so we use words where it kind of actually doesn't give a good sense of what it's really meaning. We're right now in basketball mode here in March. And in this, so I'm going to kind of use that. So when we hear the word you hem me in, it's kind of like God's creeping us. But it's not that. You know, hem me in, we can get the idea, like, you know, playing basketball, and we're like, we're not going to let you through. Like, I'm your opponent. I'm not your teammate. I'm on the other team. That's not what this means. The idea carries this idea of you hem me in, in that you are behind me, you are in front of me, and by the way, and in the text, and by the way, your hand is on me. It's the sense that we're not talking about God you have searched me and you know me from a far off distance. You, you actually, like, you're right behind me and you're right in front of me. And in fact, you're even so close, it, it's like your hand is on me. Wow. 
And if we have a right understanding of who God is and how awesome and huge God is, it's like, isn't it interesting how sometimes when you're around someone you think is like famous or whatever in that, you're kind of like, oh, you know, I always had dinner with them or something like that. It's like, can you imagine this God, God, God is like right there around. That is sweet, and that's why I say it's sweet, because look at how David responds to that. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. By the way, David is in the realm of knowledge, is in the realm of thinking. Changing starts with our thinking, and he's putting knowledge on the table, and he's saying, the knowledge of this, this information, it is just too wonderful for me to comprehend. It's high. This is like lofty stuff. This is like, you know, just not everyday thinking stuff. This is like, whoa, this is thinking in the clouds, like high and above and beyond beyond kind of thinking. And God, it is awesome. And then is, I cannot attain it. I, it carries this idea. I just, it's like so amazing, I can't even fully absorb it. One of our uh, problems today is we just have too much noise. Just way too much noise. We don't know what quiet is. I remember in seminary going back and reading books from uh, individuals who wrote in the 17 and 1800s. Whoa, man. Uh, talking about, I walked away feeling like the dumbest human being on the earth. And I think part of the reason is because these people, they sat and thought. And they really had to think. And they wrote out of that place. Plus, their English is so cool sounding. <laughs> well, let's keep going. Verses 7 through 12. Where shall I go from your spirit? Not only is God all-knowing, but God is all-present. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? That's interesting, because we just were in Genesis and uh, learning about Adam and Eve, thought they could cover and hide and flee from God. But where can I flee from your presence? Verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If, if I make my bed in Sheol, we'll call it the land of the dead, you are there. Verse 9, if I take to the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, look at this, I love this, even there your hand shall lead me. No, no, not slap me upside the head. Not, not like flick me off and push me out and cut me off or chew me out. But look, your hand is there to lead me Oh, and even more than that, and your right hand, the hand of authority, is there to hold me. Oh, friends, how sweet is this? Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. The all-knowing God is also all present. Verse 7, where shall I go from? Where shall I flee from? It's interesting. David even carries this idea of fleeing from the Lord. Hmm. Well, why might David know about fleeing from the Lord? Because uh, David's done it. Um, and yet in this, it's like God is present and and, and, and the impossibility of escaping God's presence. Oh, oh we, we, can, we can try and escape, and we can try and escape, and we can even in our own self-autonomous thinking try and explain God away and you know, make our own scriptural truth on who God is and what God says and how he functions, and, and, it's, and it's all self-autonomous ridiculousness. 
Like, like we as the broken pottery have the right to define the perfect potter. Like, like what's with that? And yet we do. One commentator said, there is no corner in which he is absent. He's everywhere. And yet sometimes, how like Adam and Eve, we think we can flee and cover like God's not there. Verse 8, even in, in a psalmic, a poetic song kind of way, he's giving us, he's stretching us to think. It's like, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. Well, duh. Here's one for a lunch conversation. If I ascend to the land of Sheol, the land of the dead, you are there. Mm, that's interesting. If I take to the sky, yeah, yeah, you're there. Let's get out of the spiritual realm. Let's get into the physical realm. If I take to the sky, you are there. If I dwell, let's go low. If I dwell in the sea, you are there. And then let's go from the spiritual realm to the physical realm. Let's go into the relational realm. You see, if I say, you know, in the darkness, it's, Listen, it's like this. Sometimes we, you know, if I'm over there, that will be the place where God won't know, and you know, it's all okay. No, uh, God has night goggles on the whole time. The the darkness is just like the light to Him. And that's what David is embracing us and calling us to think. And then verses thirteen through eighteen. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Oh, in our day and age where the uh, life of the unborn and newly conceived are disposable, um, God's fingerprints are already all over from the very beginning. And David responds, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. By the way, that's not a pat on David's back. David is not getting cocky about himself. And seriously, sometimes I've heard this almost talked out and preached out to where it's like, you know, you should feel awesome about yourself. David is not preaching that. David is preaching the idea of, oh my word, I, I, I am something else. I am a piece of work of God. And that fact is what's amazing. It's not saying I am awesome. It's saying God is awesome. And as we were in Genesis chapter 1, and we saw God's hand of creation, and there is something unique, something special about mankind being created in the image of God, unlike anything else that's been created. And there is something unique about mankind. I love your kitty. I love your puppy. But they are not created in the image of God. There is something about humanity that is unique, and God has fingerprints all, all over it. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. End of verse 14. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I just picture this science lab like God's there, and he's, you know, just, he's not in a rush to crank out the next person. He's just there on the table. He's like, yeah, like this, and yeah, like that. You know, and, and it's, it's just so intimate. And isn't it interesting where even in the moment of me talking about that, you're like, yeah, but why didn't he create me with like 1% body fat? You know, why didn't he create me taller or shorter or, or thinner or wider? Or why, why did he create me uh, uh, this way or that way? Or, oh, wh- 
I understand the question. Totally understand it. But be careful. Because in the conversation, the thinking of that, have the conversations, think about it, work it out from God's viewpoint, from his word. But in that thinking, there's a point where we become eerily just again, like Adam and Eve in the garden, where we start questioning God's goodness and God's ability and his character and his knowledge. And when we start questioning God, listen, we're getting into a place to where we be very, very careful. The Psalms talk about how, God, why? God, why? God, why? God isn't threatened by our question, ask why, but where we go with that. And the Psalms ask the question and then come to the resolution of, well, you are God and I am not. And I can even leave it there in that fact. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them. So many questions there as well. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17, oh, how precious to me are your thoughts. Oh God, David's not pushing back. David's not lost in all the, the, the wondering of it. It's, how, it's precious to him. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. By the way, there's a lot of sand in the Mid Middle East, as I understand and I awake, and yet I am still with you. So cool. The all-knowing, all-present God is also the all-creator, all-sovereign God, as much as we can understand that. In verse 13, you formed me and you knitted me together. In verse 14, I praise you. Along with that, the same idea, verse 17 and 18, how precious are. Again, I understand the questions that lean into, but... Oh, may we be careful. There are times for those conversations. But even when we can't even come up with the answers, we have to finish with the place that God is God and he is good and he is perfect. And there will come a day when I'm loaded with my questions to ask and when we see him and stand before him, I am convinced that all of those questions will be gone in a nanosecond of a moment because beholding who God is in light of who we are will just like put the Apostle John in Revelation 1 down on our face thinking we're going to die. By the way, I know it as well, David's response, it's, I praise you and precious are your thoughts. And, and by the way, I, I want to move into the next section because David is not blind to things. This next section, so often as I've read Psalm 139 in the past, you come to this next section and it's like, this just doesn't fit. Like David all of a sudden gets mad. And how does this fit? I, I actually, I've come to see this week that actually in this, it's, it's a wonderful thing, as heavy as it is, because David understands evil and wickedness and is not willing to set it aside and see God without the complication of it all. And so he speaks to it here. Uh, let's read it, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Ooh. Oh, oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. By the way, I think the clear context of this is David is not talking about every person who is without Christ or every person who is a sinner. David is talking about, and you got to understand, David was a king. He was a leader. He sees leaders. He understands this. And the way he even terms it, I think David is talking about those who are outright 
uh, 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 vocal and active against the Lord. And, and, and to those he is speaking to. They speak uh, against you with malicious intent and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. And every time I read that, I have the hardest time. And it always brings me back to when we were raising our daughter and our son and we had two words of various words, but two words that we just would not let them say is stupid and hate. You just can't say it's stupid. It's just a bad attitude, and it's particularly to people. And you just can't say, I even hate this, or it's just, it's just too there. And every time I read it, I feel like I'm breaking my own parenting rules. <laughs> and, and so even in my uncomfort of it, it's like, okay, grab a hold of this here. Uh, what's, what's taking place here? David is acknowledging wickedness. And in fact, verse 19, oh God, slay the wicked. And again, this is not, uh, you know, we, 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 hate, we are to hate sin, uh, but uh, we're to uh, love the sinner, we're to, uh, we're to love the Lord. And, and David's been singing of all of the Lord, and then David puts this words that we wouldn't allow in our home when our kids were growing up on the table. And, and this is not a disdain for all sinners, this is a disdain for those who are outright and revile God, which would make sense in light of who David was. Friends, we live in a broken world. And there is this thing where I would say, we were created to be in perfect relationship with God from the beginning, but it got broke. We broke it. And this is not heaven. Uh, and yet we continue to try and think and make this heaven. It's not. It's not. I want it to be, but it's not. And we wrestle with that. We live in a broken world. And uh, so often we ask the question, why do bad things happen? And, and that's losing the understanding of the theological reality in the whole picture of things from God's viewpoint. The, the, the wrong question is, why did bad things happen? The right question is, why does anything good ever happen? That's the theologically correct question. Because why didn't God just well, I'm just going to say it. Why didn't God just let it all go to hell? Answer. Because in God's grace, he could have. But he decided not to. And right now we are experiencing, even in a broken world, we are experiencing God's hands of holding back grace of what it could be. And there will come a day when God's hands of grace will pull back. And it will. I mean, that's the only way this thing goes under is when God removes his hands of grace in his time and it's just all going down. And in this, we don't live in heaven. We live in a broken world and that breaks my heart, but we've got to see that. And that includes you and me. We are broken people. Even if you know Christ is your savior and you've been redeemed in Christ and you're forgiven in Christ of that, we're still broken. I'm broken. That's my wife. You're broken. And yet, well, we'll come to the end here. Hey, let me kind of, before we go to the end, David's concern here in these verses is for God's honor. And when God's honor is, is being spoken against, acted against, 
David says, that's the kind of thing we should hate. And part of the question, I'm just literally this week just thinking to myself is, is so whose honor am I about? For real. I'm concerned that just we as a people, as a culture, as a world, are more concerned about our preferences and our opinions than we are God's honor. And by the way, I'm talking about God's people as well. Oh, how God's people have so divided over things that have nothing to do with God's honor. It's sad. And instead, God's honor should be fought for in our homes and in our school and in our workplaces and in our communities and here and country and our world. It's, it's about God's honor and it's about God's glory and we have the opportunity to be people who are the thing that I'm most passionate about. We can be about God's honor. Let, let's be about that. Like, let's tweet more about that. Let's like Facebook more about that and how awesome God is. Let's not be the mad people. There are things to be mad about. But are we mad about the right things? I don't know. You, you ponder it through. I love you just pushing the culture in our world right now on that. Okay. Verses 23 and 24, it concludes here. Search me, O God, and know me. Stop. That is a fascinating statement. Because what did David open with? Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you have known me. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. What's happening here? Listen, God searches and God knows. Know this. The cool part is, is God is already active right now and working in your life. Whether you know it or not, whether you want it or not, God is active in doing that. And he is searching and God knows you. And that even means he knows what you need and he knows what, what needs you need to be pushed with and he knows what you need to be helped with. And, and, and God is leaning into us and David's like, I know that's who you are. And yet we come to the end and it's like, but there's a decision that has to be made on my part. God is already doing that, but do I want to participate in the reality of God doing that? Am I interested in not only uh, being able to say that God leans into us, but am I one who is saying, God, lean into me? Because he is anyway. But there's a inviting it in as opposed to just knowing about. Uh, and so he starts out, oh, God, search me and know my heart. Try me. Woo! Man, that's when you go, boy, I think I want you to do that. <laughs> right? I, can you can, can you do it in the gentle, easy way? <laughs> then I'm in. <laughs> Try me, know my thoughts. He already does anyway. Oh, and, and see if there's any grievous way in me. God, if, if, if there's like some yuck going on in my life, things I need to grow and change in, um, you already know it anyway. But I'm saying... 
I want to participate in you with you and make it known. By the way, if the psalm ended right there, it would be it would lead to a very self-works oriented idea of all of this. But the last line is the kicker. And lead me. And lead me in the way everlasting. There, there's something about us, and particularly in our culture, you know, going back, I've been over the last few years reading more and more about history and history of America. You know, we are a very self-independent, and there's a very cool, cool thing about that. But there's also a tragedy in that. And the tragedy in that comes out that, you know, we have to buckle up and man up and woman up and we got to change ourselves. And then we get so discouraged because broken pottery can't fix broken pottery. Broken pottery needs to understand that it's broken pottery and it can't fix itself. And broken pottery is in need of a perfect potter to come in and help, well, repot. Is that a word? It is now. Uh, with me? And so these four statements, let me just, oh God, search me and know my heart. Uh, God, you already do. You already are. You've been doing that even before I was uh, boots on the ground. And yet, God, I'm saying I give you full access. I want to join in. Oh, and God, try me and know my thoughts. Test me, Lord. <laughs> Be kind. <laughs> Be gracious. No, no, but no, really, Lord, test me in this. Lean into me and know my thoughts. And, and oh God, see if there's any grievous way in there. Lord, help me as, as in my brokenness. I want to deny my brokenness. I want to push off my, I want to live like the victim. I want to live like the victim that Adam and Eve were in the position of. Oh God, it's not my fault. It's her fault. No, 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 it, it's the serpent's fault. Oh, victims, victimization. No, 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 not a victim. God, uh, show me so that I can know. And, and oh God, lead me. Oh God, I can't do this on my own. This isn't about working for my salvation. This is about I have come to know Christ as my Savior, and now I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord. I want to mature in Christ. I want my roots in Christ to grow deeper. And Lord, I'm tired of trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of trying to buckle up and make it all happen because God is not working very good anyway. How about this? How about we all just pause and we all put ourselves at the feet of the Lord and we say, God, there's some areas of my life that I want to grow in and I'm just going to not try anything for a little bit other than this. I'm going to invite you in. How often, I'll just talk over the decades of working with people and counseling with people, how often that is the step that is missed. We just get after the mechanism of it, the mechanics of it, the changes of it. And we don't pause to invite God in to search us and to know us and to try us and see if there's any grievous way in us. And then, Lord, lead us. Last Sunday, over 400 of you 
submitted an area of growth. If, if you're new here uh, uh, over the last few years in this series of growing forward, I kind of challenge our church family to, to pick two areas. One area of your life that you believe that you, the Lord would love to see you grow in. One area that you can share with anyone. And another area that is just between you and the Lord. And Last Sunday, uh, many of you know that I asked, hey, uh, could you let us know what the one area to communicate is? Because it's going to have impact and later in the series in June. And, and so over 400 of you submitted that. I did not expect that many. Uh, <laughs> how cool is that? I mean, I grew up going to church. I've never been in a church where it's like, hey, we're all together. We're all working on growing together in an area. Uh, before the Lord. And so uh, here on the screen, uh, these are areas that you noted. The two side screens are the same information. The center screen is different. These are just ones I just randomly off of what you submitted in areas that you're seeking to grow. I got to tell you, I just love this. Love this. I just love it from, I cannot imagine that the Lord is just not pleased by the fact it's like, those people, I love that. Those people, they're naming some areas in their life that they want to get after for my glory, and I'm like in on that. Um, question today is, are we going to let the Lord lean into us in this? Uh, as we look over these areas, um, our knowledge of who God is needs to come in this. Friends, we're all broken. God created us. God placed us. The knowledge that we are in a condition of being rebels, broken by choice, a sin condition, um, a total depravity in the theology realm. And yet, even in light of that, God knows us and God pursues us. Uh, that you know, that is super sweet. And, and yet, if we just leave it there in an arena of knowledge, we're not entering into what could happen. And we see in Psalm 139, David is singing this knowledge of who God is and who we are and what is going on in our world. But then David concludes with knowledge leads to this, op leads to this opportunity for God to have full access, like to step into it. And in that, I think of Colossians 2, 6, and 7 that says, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. What proceeded to the point for a person understanding what it means to have a relationship with God? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us. No one is righteous. No, not one. Standing in their condition before God, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, the results of that, the payment for that is death, spiritual death. But then it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, Jesus came to die on the cross to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, making his work available to us. And as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God from separated from God because of sin to now adopted children of God uh, in all of that. And out of all of that knowledge, the knowledge leads to an action of receiving Christ. And for us, the knowledge of growing in Christ and an area that we want to grow leads to the opportunity to God 
I invite you in. Just as I invited you in to my life to save me, I now invite you in my life to sanctify me, to grow me, to mature me in you. Let's do that. This is the place where we want to be, I think, in, in this moment as a church in this area of growing and changing for Christ. An area named in our life. And we're like, Lord, I invite you in. Lord, I want to rely on you increasingly so, and I invite you into helping me with that. Lord, I want to love you more. Uh, I'm just picking some off of, uh, on the screen. Uh, uh, Lord, I just need to invite you into my complaining heart. God, I have fear, and I have worry, and anxiety, and I have loneliness. I have pride. Uh, God, I, I invite you in, just like David uh, sings at the end of Psalm 139. God, I have priorities out of whack. God, I have an eating disorder. God, I struggle with laziness. I struggle with anger. God, I struggle with the fear of others. God, I struggle with a critical spirit. I struggle with a phone addiction. God, I struggle with my words. I struggle to be open-hearted in times when it's hard. Oh, God, I struggle with gratefulness. And I invite you in. Help me, because I can't do this on my own. And so, Lord, I pray we would be doing that. Even right now, right in this moment, that your people would be kind of stepping off of the let's make this happen train. And we would step into the abiding realm with you. God, you, you, you've already searched us. You already know us. And you will do that in the next hour, in the next days, next weeks, the next months, and the next years. And so often, Lord, there's this interesting thing that goes with us where we know that, but we don't want to participate with you in that. And I pray we would participate with you. So now in this room, in the areas of we're wanting to seek growth for your glory in God, would you search us? God, would you know us? You already do, but we invite and we participate. God, reveal in us. Oh, God, um, would you lead us? Because we need your help. God, we want to grow our roots, deep, roots deeper in you. And it begins with a place of quiet invitation and adoration of you. Lord, wherever people are at in this room with you, I just pray, Spirit of God, would you do a loving work in them to draw, to inform, and to lead. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.